to win. All right. Starting with verse 1, Proverbs chapter 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we just gather here again this evening. Thank you for this midweek study. Thank you for uh, just allowing us to be here, clearing calendars, uh, eliminating uh, anything that would keep us uh, from being together and just be re- being refreshed by your word. We pray that your spirit would wash our feet by your word tonight. Lord, that uh, we would uh, truly take the things that you speak by your word and, Lord, apply them in our life. Lord, we live in times that uh, there's so much deception, so much temptation. Lord, we pray that even tonight uh, our marriages are strengthened, our walk in Christ is strengthened. Each and every person here is edified and built up by you and your word and by your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Lust is not new to humanity. Temptations are not new to humanity. Fornication is not new. And adultery is not new either. Would we all agree with that? If they were... Solomon wouldn't have been writing, the, writing about these things nearly 3,000 years ago. Right about 3,000 years ago, he's writing this. Solomon's own father and mother, David, David and Bathsheba, they had entered into an adulterous relationship before marrying, and after his mother's uh, first husband, Uriah, had died, that's when David ended up taking Bathsheba as his wife, which was the biggest stain on David's life. Thankfully, God you know, forgave and covered those things. But Abraham, Moses, Job, all of these men were well before Solomon. They each conveyed God's warnings against lust and sexual immorality. When Jesus came, if you've read the Gospels, you'll note that throughout the Gospels, more than a few times, Jesus heavily addressed the dangers as well. And he added to the warning. Remember he wrote, or he said, uh, Matthew wrote this down, but he said in Matthew 5, 27 through 29, you have heard it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, he who looks at a woman to lust after has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye caused you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It is more profitable that one of your members perish, and for your whole body to be cast into hell. What a statement by Jesus. But that's not the only time he talked about marriage. Several times. And he really emphasized the importance of purity. Now Jesus, of course, he saved many who were prostitutes, didn't he? Many of them were at the cross and and devoted disciples by the time uh, he went to be crucified. Many who had committed fornication and adultery were saved by him in the multitudes. And those with failed marriages like the woman at the well. He had compassion on her. A broken life. No, without question, lust, the desires of the flesh, and the failures of the flesh have been a part 
of the curse of sin for all of human history. This is not new. But understand that the Word of God addressed back then, when it was written, those, ta- those days of old, it's still applicable today. It's just as applicable now as it was in antiquity. What is new in our lifetime is the many new ways Satan is using modern technology, the media, and other forms to saturate society with immorality and to normalize and to dull the senses of what God has called sin and self-destructive. Would you agree with that? Satan has an onslaught of new tools to work with to saturate society. But even in our morally toxic culture, in our world around us, guess what? We can still stand firm. We can stay pure. And if we're married, we can even thrive and be a light to many who are falling apart, chasing the mirage that Satan keeps putting out there in front of people. If you're taking notes, you'll see on the screen the title of our time in the Word tonight is Safeguarding Your Heart and Marriage, Protection from Lust, Lies, and Ruins. Now, you don't have to be married to benefit from Proverbs chapter 5, although there's one specific section that is most certainly for those that are married, and we'll, we'll look at that. But uh, single, single people, single individuals, young people uh, certainly can benefit. Solomon says, my son, he's speaking to a, a younger man here. Someday, uh, our young people who just, you know, our, our youth that went out, they'll enter into marriage. These things are important for them to know now, but uh, single, married, all points in between, we certainly uh, can all use the Lord's wisdom and how we stay true to the Lord in the days in which we live. Now, if we truly want to please the Lord, and if we truly want what He wants for our lives, and if we truly want to be faithful, And one flesh in our marriages, if we are married, God will help us. And he'll even bless us in the process. God delivers to his children purity and peace. Satan delivers to his perversion and pain. You see the difference? God delivers purity and peace. Satan delivers perversion and peace and pain. As I mentioned, there's nothing new with what's in the heart and the minds of mankind. But as Jesus warned, Jesus said as as his return becomes nearer and nearer, and it's nearer today than it was when we met on Sunday, isn't it? It'll be nearer tomorrow. But he said as his return gets nearer and nearer, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, The world will become more and more evil and the more and more perverse to the point that, you know, at the first time the world was judged, God flooded the entire earth except for one family. It had become so perverse and so evil. And he said that those days will come back at the end. It'll come in the same way. And we're certainly seeing this in the growing attacks on God's design for relationships, not just here in the United States, but worldwide. We see the attacks 
on relationships, we see the attacks on sexuality, we see the attacks on purity. Back in the 70s, I was born in 1969, some of you remember the 70s really well. Maybe you, some of you were in college in the 70s, some of you are a little older, but back in the 70s, we saw the emergence of something called no-fault no divorce. Even as late as 1977, only nine states had it. It started in the early 70s, and by 77, nine states had no-fault no divorce. By 1995, all 50 states had legalized no-fault divorce, thus ending it as any kind of contract status, which God declared that it was, because it was vows. It became and has become normal to end marriages, to split the money, to split the kids, to share the weekends, and watch lives torn apart in the process, especially for the kids that are left picking up the pieces. And many of you, I I certainly was, I experienced divorce in our family. Um, Many of you probably did as well. In typical room this size, there's going to be a good number. The 70s also brought us legalized abortion. We're going back in time because everyone thinks that all of our problems started uh, recently or in the last decade or the last 15. No, they started well back. We see things coming up out of the ground of seeds that were planted many years ago. The 70s also brought us legalized abortion, more than 50 million since, more than all the wars the United States has been a part of. No need for marriage and commitment. If there's a pregnancy, you have a simple fix. We saw a disintegration of even people needing to become married. Many people aren't even getting married now. This is another sledgehammer to the sanctity of marriage in our lifetime. Now, I want to be sensitive to anyone that may have gone down that road. There might be someone here that, that had an abortion. and we, we know that Jesus forgives and he has healed people that have you know, had things in the past. They say they wish they could go back and, and take back. And so we want to be sensitive to people that have been down that road We want to be there to put an arm around them and help them be healed. But the reality is still, if you look at the proliferation of divorce and the proliferation of abortion, both of them have had a tremendous impact on the sabotage of the institution of marriage, not to mention the many lost, damaged lives. But for Satan, he's actually not satisfied with just divorce and abortion and the destruction that's left behind. No, he's, in, he's been in full steam ahead mode. And since the mid-1990s, he's now attacked every imaginable aspect of marriage in our lifetime and in our culture, since the mid-1990s. Our society is t- today told nonstop by our government, by the media, by the schools, by the universities, by corporate America, and every form of social media that anything God has ever said about marriage, sexuality, and even identity is outdated and irrelevant. That's what we hear today from every megaphone of all those institutions and ones I didn't mention. They all say with one unified voice, everything God says is irrelevant. You Christians just shut up. The fabric of our nation is being destroyed from the inside out. 
And many are completely oblivious, especially a lot of our young people. They don't even, they don't even know. You ask them, you know, how much of the country uh, is homosexual? And they'll tell you, oh, about 33%. It's not one in three. It's less than 2%. But they've been brainwashed into thinking things that aren't even reality. What many now think is normal would have been shocking even to Christians 50, 60, uh, even to non-Christians 50, 60 years ago with what we see around us. The University of Georgia did a study a few years back. They looked at 30 years' worth of advertising. You know, if you pick up a newspaper or a magazine or, or you watch uh, television, you get bombarded with advertising. Are you like me and you just want to go back and forth so you can skip every single commercial? And now, as bad as the commercials are, you have to skip them. Especially if you're watching sports or something like that. They're some of the worst. But uh, they looked at 30, University of Georgia looked at 30 years worth of advertising. They did this study in the mid-2000s here. And they went back and they looked at 1983, 1993, and 2003. So 30 years worth of advertising. They looked at six major magazines. And they found that the use of sex to sell products had gone from 15% in 1983 to 27% in 2003. I don't know what it is in 2016, but I'm pretty sure it hasn't gone backwards. Clothing companies, perfume companies, beer companies are just a few that lead the parade of images and messages nonstop every day that say basically to all of Americans, do whatever feels good to you. I read an article in Advertising Age where the CEO of Hardee's, you know, the, the burger joint, the CEO of Hardee's, uh, he was extremely proud how they had used sex and Paris Hilton uh, to grow Hardy's brand and their revenues. If it makes money, do it. It's true. The Bible says the love of money is the root of many kinds of evil. But you put money and sexual immorality together and you have quite a tonic there, don't you? But that's just advertising. The TV shows, even the family ones, have crossed line after line after line. They don't even know lines anymore. I won't even mention a number of TV shows that didn't even exist five years ago that are now mainstream because if I mention just the titles of them, it'll send you, your mind, away from the Word of God even here. The Internet explosion, what's added to the assault? Like no other time in human history, people can virtually enter into any conceivable type of fantasy or virtual encounter. Think about it. On-demand voyeurism that in ancient Rome, if you lived in ancient Rome, uh, was limited to the rich aristocracy and tyrants like Caesar, guys like Titus, is now available 24-7 on any smartphone or any internet device on literally thousands of sites. Married men and women, single men and women, millions of young people are drowning in the darkness of pornography. Satan knows well what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2.16 when he said, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. See, Satan knows if you capture the eyes, you inflame the flesh. That's what he's doing. He's capturing the eyes of millions upon millions of people, not just in the United States, this is a worldwide thing. One report showed just back in 2006, this is 10 years ago, back in 2006, 
Worldwide revenue from pornography was $97 billion. That was more than the revenue, the net revenue for Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix at the time. Amazing, huh? This is how much filth is being consumed. Donna Rice Hughes, in her comprehensive and groundbreaking study, it was published in 2014, the study was titled, The Internet Pornography Pandemic, The Largest Unregulated Social Experiment in Human History. What a title, huh? She said, in, uh, she said this in her overview of the whole study. She said, the report's findings conclude that pornography, especially via the Internet, harms children, women, and men, and fuels pornography addiction, the breakdown of marriage, and sex trafficking. If anyone in this room is using anything on the Internet, you personally, I hate to break, you're contributing even to sex trafficking. And we'd stand in judgment day for that. But, of course, there's many other problems there, too. She said, other peer-reviewed studies have reached similar conclusion. It has become, listen to what she says, this, this groundbreaking study in 2014. She said, it has become one of the greatest global threats to children, marriages, families, and nations. No one is immune. Sites like Ashley Madison and others like them are helping people find and have affairs and personal encounters. Pornography often leads to pursuit of even more destructive behavior. And now, where we find ourselves today is exactly what happens when mankind rejects the will and the word of God. Isn't that true? See, Galatians 6-7 is still true. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that stands for nations. That stands for states. That's, this country will not stand in this kind of sin forever. We will collapse. Every other nation that's gone down this path has collapsed. Every single one of them in all of human history, not a single one of them have survived it. And we won't either. And yet in this sea of temptation, this visual bombardment, the perverse definitions today of what's right and what's wrong, here's the good news. God has given us his Holy Spirit and his word to still even thrive in a fallen world and still reach others. We can still reach other people that are in that darkness, that are in that mess. Paul writes in Philippians 2.15 that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. They might make fun. They might say your God isn't relevant. But at the same time, your coworkers are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. And when they have a lot of pain and sorrow from the things that they thought would give them joy and pleasure, we need to be there. So it's against this backdrop of all the enemy is doing in our own imperfect flesh, because we always have ourselves to deal with too, that we want to look at four things tonight that we can do and must do to not only keep from sin and the consequences, but even to flourish in our marriage relationships with all the assaults around us. And by the way, chapter 5 here in Proverbs, uh, it's a part one, if you will, of a three-part warning and instruction from uh, Solomon related to adultery and immorality because chapter 6 and chapter 7 complete the picture. There's more to be said on this topic 
in chapter 6 and chapter 7. So we'll get there when we get there. But let's look at these four admonitions and protections together tonight. The first thing we want to look at is in verses 1 and 6 we just read. Resist all flattery. Look at, the, look at what Solomon says. My son, pay attention. Lend your ear. You may preserve. We want to be able to preserve in this world, right? We want to be able to move through and be preserved, but we want to preserve the discretion and the knowledge that God's given us. And look what he says in verse 3 and 4. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, he speaks of a woman here, but this can easily be a man or a woman with flattering speech. But the first thing he says is pay attention. Lend your ear. Lend your ear to who? First and foremost, to God. That's why you're here tonight. You're lending your ear to God. When you lend your ear to God, you're lending your heart to God, you're lending your mind to God. Jesus said this. Remember he would say, he that has an ear, let him hear. So he wrote to the churches in Revelation as well. He that has an ear, let him hear. Pay attention to what God said. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying. When we know and when we truly believe and we are cognizant of what God has said and taught us, it's a protection for us. We have to know it, we have to believe it, and we have to be thinking about the things that God said. Whatever the scripture, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, those are the things we should be thinking about. And what is it that Jesus has taught us? What is it the Word of God has taught us? Well, he's taught us that from all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he's taught us that Satan has a really smooth tongue. And that he promises one thing, but delivers another. We understand this today as bait and switch. The master of it. Whenever you've been bait and switch, like on a sales process, you're never happy about it. Satan's authored this whole process, but his is much worse than, you know, kind of getting stuck with a bad product or something. And the tactic of offering one thing, that smooth tongue that he gave to Adam and Eve early on, that forked tongue, the tactic of smooth talking, bait and switch, works so well that he still uses it today. And other people are the mouthpiece of the smooth, dripping honey. Other people. He's using mankind to deceive mankind. So when the enemy says, or someone says, something that stimulates or or causes a person to think in a way that the enemy wants him to think, he's planting something in their mind. That's what he wants to do. You see, sin always starts in the mind. James 1.14, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own what? Desires. Desires are not a tangible thing like, like this piece of wood. Desires and enticed. Desires are in the mind. Wrong thoughts and wrong motives are in the mind. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So 
godliness also starts in the mind. And the protection of our mind starts with the peace of God, and it comes through Jesus Christ. See, the mind is what intellectually ponders what's in the heart. Does that make sense? The mind is where you do your figuring, whether it's mathematics or a criminal calculating an evil act, right? The mind ponders what's in the heart, calculates the action. So we need God's help to guard both the heart and the mind, don't we? I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, so we all need it. We're all in the same boat. We all need God's help to guard the heart and the mind. And the best way to have our mind and heart guarded is to be in constant fellowship with God, to be in conversation with Him and walking in the Holy Spirit. Then we can walk, as 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, in the mind of Christ. In the mind of Christ. That's why Psalm 1 says, meditate day and night on the Word of God. My men like George Mueller throughout the day, he'd have his Bible there, he would just open it and read a verse all throughout the day. Have a quick second, read a verse. Today, we have a quick second, we fire up our smartphone. It's not a smart way to stay in communion with God. We've all been guilty of this, so we can all do this. What's the crux of the admonition and warning here, though, in verses 1 through 6? It's pay attention to what God says so you properly hear what someone else is saying. Let me say it again. The crux here is to pay attention to what God says so you properly interpret what someone else is saying. The Spirit will tell you when you've received a compliment or when it's becoming something else. Does that make sense? Flattery or flirting is not a compliment. Compliments should be received in humility. Flattery and flirting is not meant to cause you to be humble. It's meant to cause you to be prideful. See, Satan is the king of pride, so he knows if he can get us to walk in pride, we'll collapse. Be very careful. Someone using flattery, situational empathy. Oh, you're a saint. Some woman at work telling one of you ladies' husband at work, telling her, you're such a saint. See what you do all the time. You work so hard. Situational empathy, lending moral support, especially with a person of the opposite sex, is speaking in this way. They are planting a seed of connection. That's what they're doing. Sometimes intentional, sometimes not intentional. Sometimes people are just lonely people, so they don't really know what to do. They just act this way, and they still cause destruction. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's, Satan's still behind any of it. Someone might say, wow, it happens both male and female. Someone might say, wow, my husband never says that to me. What a sweet and kind and considerate thing for you to say. My wife never mentions how hard I work, how sacrificial I am. You see how this happens in workplace settings all the time? I see neighbors. I, I, you know, I see neighbors who have way too close. I, I live in our neighborhood. I watch people that, you know, uh, two members of different spouses just hanging out the pool together. I'm like, what are you all thinking? This is the ignorance 
of someone that doesn't know the scriptures, doesn't understand the dangers. All physical relationships start in the mind. There are emotional attachments always before there are physical interactions. Always. There's emotional attachment first. Flattery and flirting go hand in hand. If you ever hear a husband or a wife say, oh, it's just flirting, that's not a really good thing ever to be said. When you were unsaved and hanging out in the bar scene, that was normal. Once you came into Christ, flirting is over. Ends. They go hand in hand, though. What sounds as sweet as honey and feels smoother than oil is actually like a sharp razor blade. You ever got cut by a razor blade and didn't even know it? Do you look down? That's what it's doing. It's, that's why it even mentions it's sharp as a two-edged sword. It's very sharp. You don't even know it when it went in. Hit a vital organ, not even realize it. You can be cut, and then the damage is done. You can't stop any random act of flirting. Someone may come up, if you happen to be one of the most attractive people out there, you might not be able to stop a random act of flirting coming your way or flattery coming your way. But you can short-circuit it. Over the years, hopefully God has shown you these things. Because, you know, Satan tries to attack a lot of people. Not, even, not just the rich and famous, really good-looking people. You can start talking about your love for your spouse and a lot. And it's a good way to just diffuse it. You can start talking about your love for Jesus and you'll drive them right out of the room. <laughs> They're like, you're too weird, you know. Just go for it. You should be doing it anyway. But look at verses 5 and 6. Destruction awaits those that play around with flattery and flirting. Her feet go down to death. Steps lay hold of hell. What he's saying, he's like, this is, a lot of people have gone to hell just pursuing lust. Sad. Let's look at the next thing. Resist all flattery. Run from temptation, starting verse 7. Therefore, hear me now, my children, do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your foot far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others. Your ears to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your neighbors go uh, to the house of a foreigner and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction. My heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Verse 8 It says, remove your way far from her. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Remove yourself from anything that can spiritually bring you down. Anything that can spiritually bring you down. We purposely avoid all situations that could cause harm and temptation. Or we should be. When I was unsaved, I didn't get saved until I was 26, Uh, But when I was unsaved, I did everything I could to find avenues to enjoy sin, and I hoped God wasn't paying attention. 
Isn't that where we all were? We just kind of hoped God wasn't watching. And we know from later in the passage, God is watching. His eyes are to him. He sees every single thing. You know, someday we're going to give an account of every thought even. Every word. In 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul writes, Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. By the way, you're here tonight, you're doing it with those who call on the Lord. You're actually doing what he said. You're pursuing the Lord in righteousness with the body of Christ. So Paul says, you have to replace what you once did. You flee youthful lust, but you replace it by pursuing righteousness. So at the very same time you remove yourself from temptation, that's not enough. You also have to invest in your walk with Jesus. You couldn't just say, well, I'm going to just get away. I'm going to go live on the top of a mountain all by myself. Well, you'll still bring sin there. So we have to flee these things, yes. But we also want to pursue righteousness. You know, where you go. You start telling people about Jesus, again, you're going to diffuse a lot of temptation. Hey, I'm nice to meet you. I go to such and so church. Love to invite you. They're going to move on to another target. You might, you know, when you're looking for the opportunity, when can I read my Bible again? When can I get back into the Word? When can I put worship music back on? All these are the things that mature people are constantly putting on the armor of God. Once we're saved, we put on the armor of God. We're alert. We're vigilant to the things the world says are harmless. The world says they're harmless. The world can tell me to jump into a body of water, swim with sharks, hey, I've done it a million times. I don't have to listen just because they say it's harmless, right? They say a lot of things are harmless, then we watch on the news that they're not harmless. I'm sure that the drug dealers up in New York that just sold this stuff that People are laying on the streets, uh, like 20-some of them uh, having these uh, unbelievable medical... I'm sure the dealers didn't say, this is really going to harm you. Say, it's not going to harm you. Satan's always lying. We're to be vigilant to these. We're to avoid temptation wherever and whenever possible. Yeah, we're going to get enough surprise attacks from the enemy in life that we don't need to put ourselves in places that would cause compromise or even worse. Wouldn't you say we get enough unexpected attacks in life we don't set ourselves up as sitting ducks as much as you and i can we're to avoid one-on-one settings with men and women of the opposite sex and especially if you're married but this is also an admonition for single people too because they find themselves in new attractions because they should have just sisters staying with some sisters brothers staying with some brothers Husbands, you have a wife, hang out with your wife. You're not going to be hanging out with your neighbor's wife. I'm just going to have a glass of water. I've actually seen this lots of times. I'm like, and we wonder how. There was a one, when I was back in the business world, a colleague of mine, in his neighborhood, two houses side by side, they ended up both divorcing and marrying the person in the house beside them. This is a true story here in Richmond. The -the over-the-fence conversations can be really, really bad news in the long run. Godly men and women, they don't go to the bar after work to chill out. 
They go home to their families after work. Business trips. Uh, when I used to, you know, I, you, most of you know, I, I was in the business world until 2012, and I left it to, to be a full-time pastor. And I had a lot of business trips. There was uh, several years where I'd fly out every Monday and fly back on a Thursday. But I, was, uh, I would always go to dinner with, I had, a, I had co-workers I would meet up with. I had different team members in uh, different, different roles, and I would meet people. Uh, we'd go out to dinner a lot of times on my business trips. But I, after that, depending on what was coming next, at, you know, you'd find out at the dinner what everybody wanted to do if everyone wasn't going back to just the room. But uh, depending on what that was, I'd go back to my hotel room, read the Word, watch a game, go to sleep, whatever. If there was even a hint that the next stop is a place that Jesus and the apostles wouldn't go. That's a good way for you to live your life. I wonder if the Apostle Paul would go here tonight. Pretty sure you'll be able to know the answer really fast. If it was a Wednesday night and I was near a Calvary Chapel in another city or state or another solid church, one time when I was in Dallas, I got to go to Dr. Tony Evans' church, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. That night I actually convinced coworkers to go with me to church. Could never convince them to go to a Calvary, but I did convince them to go to Dr. Evans' church. I'd go there, and other times uh, when I'd be out of town, I'd go to a, a Calvary Chapel or another uh, church that I uh, knew something about the ministry. I'd have coworkers. Sometimes they'd go to bars. Sometimes they were men. They'd go to strip clubs. Yes, this happens a lot in the business world, more than people think. Sometimes they'd go to a movie, a movie that I wasn't going to go see. It was just some filth movie. They were all excited about it, have a chance to blow some steam. Let's go to a movie. Comedy clubs. I made that mistake once. Uh, I thought comedy club. All right, what can go wrong at a comedy club? A lot can go wrong at a comedy club. I found this out. I was in Toronto, and it was the second city comedy club. They have one in Chicago. They have one in Toronto. I, I, they might even have one in New York, too. But I said, all right, all right. They talked comedy club. I, had to, I wanted to get out of there within about 40 minutes because it was just one comedian after another. So I, that was a mistake I never made again. But sometimes I'd go to, you know, if, you, if you're men or, and you have, fr, you know, unsafe people or business trips or whatever it may be, you know, there are things that are okay, a sporting event, shopping center, a coffee house. Especially, I want to interact with unsafe people so I can share Christ with them. So if I could convince them to go to a coffee house, a lot of times we'd get into a spiritual discussion. That doesn't happen at other places, though. And I wouldn't do that if it was just a female coworker. That's if it was me and another male coworker. Bookstores, things like that. But we have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We know which is which. And we're not only avoiding temptations, as Christians, we're avoiding even the appearance of evil, the Bible says. Even the appearance of it, because even if you could stay pure, we want to win people to Christ. And we want them to come out of darkness into light. The internet, I mentioned that earlier, the internet is something to be extremely careful with. And even when using it very wisely, you have to guard your eyes, don't you? Even, even people that use it wisely. And so, I mean, they, man, I only go to these places, and I, you know, but still you have a stupid pop-up ad that comes up out of nowhere, and you're like, it gets on your nerves. You know, most of us that are saved, it's just like you just move on quickly. But um, you have to guard your eyes, you have to guard your heart. 
But for the most part, for the most part, the internet does what you tell it to do. Did you know that? It searches for what we type in, whether it's Siri or a Google search or a Bing search or whatever it is. It mostly searches for what it always searches for what we are asking it to search. It goes to websites we type in and it stops where we stop. If someone has if someone has had an issue with pornography in the past, or maybe even still in the present, uh, they might not even be able to use the Internet. Maybe they shouldn't use the Internet. I would say, in that case, they shouldn't. I think the Holy Spirit is far more powerful, can break any addiction. Understand this. Any addiction. Drugs, pornography, you name it. The Holy Spirit can break any single addiction. But you, you have to use wisdom until that addiction is broken. To some, if that's a stronghold, they're going to have to avoid the internet altogether for a season, and some people longer seasons. They should avoid probably certain TV and movies as well, just avoid them altogether. By the way, some music can actually be problematic in bringing people back into certain types of bondage too, so we have to have purity coming in our minds. Now for me personally, Um, I'm on the internet all the time. I do research, study materials. I worked uh, on business projects from 1997 to to 2012. So I've been about 20 years heavily on the internet, me personally. Many of you probably could say the same thing. My story is not unique there. Um, I say this very humbly. Hear me clearly. I say this humbly and as a testimony and as an encouragement maybe first and foremost to other men, but to everyone here. And many of you could say the same. It would be the same testimony for you. So again, this this is nothing unique with me. But uh, by the love of the Lord, for me personally, by the fear of the Lord, I have a healthy fear of the Lord. How about you? And the desire to please Him and to love unconditionally and only my wife I have personally, and this is a testimony, I say this humbly, God, use it in your life. I have personally never once, not in 20 years, not a single time, have I punched in an internet porn site on my phone, on a laptop computer, on a tablet, or any other device, not a single time in 20 years, not once. And if I didn't mean that, God could strike me dead right here. So I can tell you definitively, you can be on the internet and not go to bad sites. Anyone who tells you, I can't, you come up, like that, I don't buy it at all. Yeah, you'll get a stupid pop-up and everything, but it's usually you know, like an insurance ad or something like that. Where, and you just move on. You click off the site. And, but I'm saying that to go there is us. It's just, the internet is a digital highway. In my mind, because I came from a technology company and background, it's a digital highway. In my mind, driving to a porn site is the same as if you took your car and drove to a street drug site and said, I'm going there to get hard drugs. I'm picking up my car. I'm putting the key in. You would have to drive there to get it, and you have to, in most cases, again, there are rare, rare exceptions. I guess it's possible someone could knock on your door and say, I'd like to sell you hardcore drugs. But for the most part, 
We go where our feet take us. That's what Solomon says. He says, remove your foot. He didn't say, your foot got dragged there. Right? He didn't say your foot got dragged there. He said, you remove your foot. And just like we wouldn't drive our car to go get hardcore street drugs, we wouldn't drive with our fingers to a site that's hardcore destruction. Same thing. Verse 14, what does it say? I was on the verge of total ruin. See, a lot of people are on the verge of ruin and don't even know it because they've not removed their foot. They've not removed their fingers. They've not removed themselves from situations that are ultimately going to lead them into destruction. And again, I know the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. Just because we've not done something doesn't mean we aren't capable. David could have said before Bathsheba, I have never, no, never, no, never. But then he did fall, so we have to be careful. This is not, we have a testimony. Our testimony should encourage other brothers and sisters to say, you can do this. Because you, you have everyone else tell, I've actually heard pastors, and it drives me crazy, talk, uh, get up and talk about porn is, so, you'll, is, is impossible to stay away from. I really wonder, if they're saying that, I have concerns. When I hear someone say it's impossible to stay away from it. How did Daniel stay pure? How did Moses stay pure, right? How did Paul stay pure? You think they're, James said they were men just like us, right? Elijah was a man just like us. So men and women here, we can, we have to run from temptation, no doubt about it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. What did, Jesus, what, did, uh, what did the Apostle Paul write here? No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. You may be able to bear it. Isn't that a great promise? It's either true or it's not true that God says, look, I can keep you pure, and I'll make a way of escape. You start praying... And you'll stop flirting. You're in the middle of flirting. You start talking to Jesus, the flirting will quickly dissipate. <laughs> Seriously. You, hey, if I, you just find yourself, because everyone, everyone can do something stupid. We're, we're by nature, we can do really stupid things. You find yourself uh, kind of getting it, hey, uh, this is kind of... Man, she's digging my shirt, digging this, digging that. Man, he really thinks that I'm super smart and probably put together if you're a woman, whatever it is. And you start, stop yourself, say, Lord, I just want to talk to you for a minute. It'll quickly short circuit. Go to type in a sinful website, start praying to Jesus. Hey, Lord, I just want to talk to you for a minute. You won't be able to type that in. About to go somewhere you shouldn't go, start talking to the Lord. Won't be able to do that either. Now you'll find that Jesus is the way of escape. He is the way of escape. We have to talk to him. We've got to move through. Next one. So run from temptation. Next one, reinforce your love. Let's take a look at uh, these next couple of verses. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? No. Let them only be your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed 
and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman embracing the arms of a seductress? Again, this works both ways. He's writing to his son, but you know, we could write this to a daughter and it could be about a moral guy. So it, it, either way, it's applicable to all of us. But the first two warnings and admonitions we looked at, they can apply to single people or married people. This third one is directed by Solomon, verse 15 through 20, specifically to those that are currently married. And I would add, it certainly applies to those entering into a marriage relationship. So if you had someone that's they're engaged and they're going through marital counseling, this would certainly apply to them as well. But have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that lust is found in the tenth commandment pertaining to coveting someone else's spouse? The other things in there, don't covet the donkey and the other stuff. And, but the coveting your neighbor's spouse. In fact, all lust is a form of covetousness. Think about that. All lust is a form of covetousness. And by the way, I would say on that, this is a strong reason. Think about it. If, if lust is not only included in the commandments related to fornication and adultery, but it's in the 10th commandment as well, this is a strong reason, brother and sister, everyone in this room, to root out covetousness and greed in every area of our life because things that today are coveting of stuff and possessions can swing to human people in a New York minute. Does that make sense? We have to root out covetousness now because a lot of, matter of fact, um, you'll never hear, I, I remember hearing a Catholic priest who got, became born again. This is fascinating what he, what, he, what he observed. Catholic priest becomes born again, true story. And he said in all his years is sitting in the confessional, having people confess sin after sin after sin, just horrific thing. He couldn't remember anyone saying, I'm, I'm having a problem with covetousness. Why? Because it was never taught as, as some kind of sin to be dealt with. And I'm going to tell you, America has a huge coveting problem. And it's no wonder if you covet the next phone or your neighbor's car or your neighbor's house or, man, I wish I had what they have or we need another new thing in the house. We need, man, they just got a home renovation. We need a home renovation. All that stuff. That's how you can quickly covet people just as easily. See, Satan once you are a covetous person, he has you on the line. Right now, it's just cars. Neighbor's got a new backyard fence and deck setting and blah, 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 and everything else. And says, it's not going to be long before I'll just slip a person. It's in the list. Tenth commandment. God knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? But one of the best protections against lust and immorality is contentment with what God's given us, to be satisfied. When, we and I, when Paul had, he said, I learned to be content. Contentment will keep us out of a lot of sin. Not just sexual sin, but other sins too. To be satisfied with what God's given us. I'm fortunate to be married, and I mean that. And any of you are married, if you haven't thought of yourself as fortunate lately, say, God, I'm sorry, I am fortunate to be married. Simply Tell God, 
you were wrong and had not been thinking about that lately. But I'm fortunate to be married. I've done nothing to deserve the grace of marriage. Nothing. Much less the wife of my dreams. Matter of fact, I was thinking last Wednesday that we did the uh, review of the Guatemala trip. My wife gets up here to speak. And um, I was like, man, I've hit the jackpot when I was sitting on the front row. Because I had not, she always speaks to you ladies in ladies' meetings. I never hear her speak. That was a new experience for me. I was like, I had not heard her speak like that. And I was like, I like what I'm hearing. Because I even like her voice and stuff. And hopefully you as spouses, you like you hear your spouse's voice and you like to see when God has matured them. And I see the Holy Spirit speaking through her. I know she loves the Lord. I see her, all, I see her love for the Lord. But for me personally, that was a new experience for me. And I, it was weird. I didn't even expect it because I'm never at the ladies' things. And she never gets up here and speaks while I'm here. So it's either me up here or I don't hear her. But we should, um, we should really be thankful for the spouse God's given us, all of you here. Martin Luther said, there is more, there's nothing more lovely, friendly, or charming in relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. A good marriage really does satisfy like, you know, you've had a really good meal that satisfies. A good marriage really does satisfy. But we have to continually cultivate our marriages. We have to for two reasons. If you're taking notes. We have to continue to cultivate our marriage for two reasons. Number one, we have to continually cultivate our marriage because our flesh is prone to taking things for granted. And when that happens, we enter into worlds of self-pity, complaining, frustration, or looking elsewhere, right? All of those things, our flesh is prone to taking things for granted. So we have to continue to cultivate. And what do we cultivate with that? Thankfulness and appreciation. Number two, not only do we have our flesh to deal with, but Satan, understand this, He is working hard to sow seeds of discord and destruction into your marriage and my marriage, whether we're aware of it or not, or whether we're working on our marriage or not. And he's he's got a lot of patience and can wait for the right opportunity to see when the walls are down, when the gate is open. So one, our flesh, we have to continually cultivate, not take things for granted. Number two, Satan's, he really is... He's always game planning against us in every aspect of life. So how do we reinforce our marriage relationships? I have four things if you want to take these notes. How do we reinforce the marriage relationships? Right from, the, right from what he uh, has written, verses 15 through 20. It comes right out of the text. Number one in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Number one, be thankful for our own well our own marriage relationship. It's a heart of gratitude and appreciation. Now, now think, of, think of the real metaphor of clean water and how many in the world don't have clean water tonight. If you take the actual metaphor, if people that are dying of thirst or drinking horrible water 
and you can drink something to be thankful for. God says, look, I've given you a well. Are you going to be thankful for it or not? So the first one we reinforce by being thankful. Number two, verse 16, 17, should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams water in the streets, let them be only your own and not with strangers. Number two, protect your own well. Both you and your spouse have to jointly commit to stay away from temptation. And we don't just stay away, we invest in the right thing. You should be right, write each other notes. Text each other. Constantly encouraging each other. We protect our, be thankful for the well, but protect the well that God's given us. Number three, let your, fountains be, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. This is an uh, important one as well. You've got to learn to rejoice together. One of the ways you can rejoice together is to serve together. Right now, my wife does not come up on the pulpit stage with me to serve in this capacity, but we absolutely serve in ministry together, and we feel very connected serving in ministry together. If you've never served together in any capacity, find ways to serve together. We go to Bon Air together. Sometimes we'll go in the, the female units, just me and her. We get to be like parent figures to these young girls. Um, to rejoice together, laugh together, and make time to laugh. The world is a messed up place. You've got to laugh. Laugh together. Make an effort to enjoy one another. Do the same things within reason, by the way. I mean, health and bodies getting old, notwithstanding, do the same things you did when we were, you were young to a certain extent. In other words, still date one another. Maybe you used to could skydive together. You may not be able to do that forever. But if you still date your spouse, a piece of your youth will never die. That's what I believe. Look at what he's saying. He says, with the wife of your youth. How can someone be 80 and still be the wife of the youth? Why? Because they've continued to invest in the things they did in the youth, the love, the dating. You know, I've, I've met older couples, and I love to ask questions, so I'll ask older couples. And I've asked, I've had senior citizen men that are like 80s and 90s and women both say, we still court each other. and They, they can say they flirt with each other. That's all right. Yeah. And, all, and they do. I've, I've heard them plenty of times say, we still flirt with each other. You can flirt with your spouse all you want. You're just not able to flirt with anyone. It's the same the Garden of Eden. You could eat from all these other trees, but this, you can do that. And number four, maintain all forms of intimacy. And if, if you look at, um, look at verses 19 and 20, understand that if any of the following, and here's some forms of intimacy that, I, that I'd bring your attention to. If any of these in this list are missing in your marriage, there could be danger signs ahead. One, the intimacy of praying together. The intimacy of prayer. You've got to have times where you pray together. Two, talking and communication. This is especially valuable to women. Men, wake up and smell the coffee. You've got to, you've got to have talking and communication uh, deep friendship. 
Your spouse is supposed to be your best friend. I, you know, here goes, yeah, so-and-so is my best friend. Well, you've got a problem. If your buddy is your best friend. Personal touch and just hanging out. Personal touch and just hanging out. Not of the sexual nature, just personal touch and hanging out. And lastly, uh, sexual intimacy is in this list, uh, of course, and you see it uh, in the text itself. If any of these are missing in a marriage, there will be danger signs because there's cracks in the walls and they can become wider over time. In, in a spiritual sense, Jesus maintains all of these with the body of Christ. Remember, we're a picture of the bride, the consummation of the marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That comes when we actually uh, come into heaven and we live with him. That was, a, that was a Jewish picture that you would actually come to the house that the son had made at his father's house. But Jesus maintains these things with us. He talks to us in prayer, in deep communication. He said, I now call you friend. He personally touches our lives. There's not a sexual intimacy, but there's a Holy Spirit intimacy. So all of these things are a spiritual picture of Christ in the church. So those are things that we can do to reinforce our love. And so as the last thing as we come to a close here, and this is just three quick bullet points, not even a list. It's really just to kind of sum up verse 21 through 23, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his steps. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. And he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and the greatness of his folly shall go astray. Brother and sister, you know, we know what happens if we say, I'm going to do it the way the rest of the world does it. I'm not going to pay any attention to these things. I'm not going to make these applications in my life. We have no excuse in not seeing victory in our lives and standing firm in a dark world. We have no excuse. Jesus has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God's ways never fail. We can remain pure. We can actually have real joy. We can see our marriages blessed if we put these things into practice. I can preach serious, heavy stuff, and I have service be laughing with you guys because real joy is able to both speak heavy truth but also rejoice with those that rejoice. And we should be able to do that in our marriage even when there's missiles, if you will, going over top of us that the enemy is really trying to crumble society all around us. We can still have real joy and be blessed by putting these things into practice. Satan, on the other hand, if we look at these last three verses, he's full of lies. And a refusal to apply these warnings will result in bondage and complete utter destruction to anyone that says, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm just, I can flirt with so-and-so and it'll be just fine. Because we just really get each other. Right? Famous last words, right? But Jesus tells us, we'll come to a close here. He tells us in our life, he's not saying these things to rob us from joy and even from pleasure. No, no. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I would never go back to my pre-Christ days. How about you? In any way of relationship. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. That your words are true. I pray that uh, here in this room, 
Uh, we're strengthened by them. Lord, we apply these things in our life. Whether it's the singles uh, that are in this room, Lord, uh, you, you would be uh, a spouse to them. Uh, Lord, that they would receive everything needed from you. As the Apostle Paul, he, would, uh, he had been given the gift of singleness, Lord, but uh, those that are single or, uh, Lord, uh, widows or widowers, Lord, that you would just uh, give every aspect of just love and relationship that only you can satisfy the thirst of any individual, Lord. I pray that you would give that. And those that are married, Lord, we also, first and foremost, would be married to you that we would even love you more than our spouse. And Lord, of course, when we love you more than our spouse, we'll certainly love our spouse in a more pure way. We pray, Lord, that you'd protect marriages in this room. And Lord, use us as a light that the strong marriages and the stronger and growing marriages in this church would be a light to the world around us, both where we work and even as people come in here. We thank you, and Lord, we just praise you for the fact that you are faithful all things in Jesus' name. Amen.